Hello everyone and welcome to the Uninformed Handball Hour. It's Chris O'Reilly here, joined by Alex Kulish. How are you, Chris? Brian Campion is currently cycling through the Austrian countryside and enjoying some wine, so not with us at the moment. But we are joined by a third person very shortly. Merle Schach from Kieler Nachrichten will be joining us to talk about the big derby in northern Germany, which happened on Saturday evening between Flensburg and Kiel. But before we go into that and the rest of the club action, let's talk about the Olympic qualifiers, the big news from the last couple of weeks where teams from around the world were we're battling for those final positions at Tokyo 2021 and uh, starting with the men's one and we had uh, well three I think very interesting groups for very different reasons and uh, we, we got into a lot of detail in the preview so I think it's good to look back at what actually happened in the end and uh, I want to start with the the group in Montenegro where we had Norway go through as top dogs and we expected that to happen but then there was an interesting three-way fight between brazil chile and alex gulesh's mystery box korea i i really thought korea had a bit more in them uh, i i they came out so strong against chile and i was like this is it this is the surprise package and their goalkeeper um park just had one of the most incredible performances in that first game and then they were figured out and brazil were just better <laughs> what was brazil what was <laughs> what was park's stats in the end it was like 25 saves 35 goals conceded or something yeah yeah it, it just it's a nonsense game he had 26 saves in that first game and conceded 35 goals so <laughs> the pace of that game was just absolute nonsense yeah and wild. chile almost came back and uh yeah, won that game, even though Korea were miles ahead. And it was one of those fun experiences of watching Chile versus South Korea and getting really hyped just because I made a weird prediction about a mystery box. But uh, <laughs> unfortunately, they, they, I don't know, Korea didn't have a, a standout player uh, to just guide them through or take take an extra shot. Um, they had no one shooting from the backcourt. And eventually that's, that just gets figured out. Norway through, which is great for the Norwegian team. It's their first Olympics since 1972 on the men's side. It will be pretty exciting for Norway, who actually are, are probably built, getting themselves set for a pretty good Olympics if it happens. Uh, quite a few medals probably going through the, that Norwegian Olympic team. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to make any predictions on Norway's men uh, after they let me down again at the World Championship. Uh, I'm, I'll, I'll wait and see. Also, uh, second place in the end was Brazil, uh, the team that you should have kept faith with uh, all along. But they were pushed pretty hard by, uh, by Chile in that last game. Chile needed to win the game by four to qualify, something they had done at the Pan American Games only two years previous. And at one stage, they were leading 
by four. So it looked like they were going to pull off the upset. But in the end, it was just a case of uh, Brazil having, a, I think, a bit more strength and depth and a bit more about them where Chile were really relying on you know, seven, eight players to uh, to get the job done and uh, fell just short. It would have been an incredible result for them if they'd made it through, but it's Brazil to go through to the Olympics uh, instead. Germany and Sweden made it through in uh, Berlin with Slovenia falling short. And unfortunately, Slovenia, I think, being way below par in comparison to what I expected from them. You called it. In fairness, Alex, you did say that it would be Sweden and Germany to make it through. Uh, and Germany, with the some of the big boys returning, in particular Vincek and Pekeler, looked really, really strong. Yeah, they, they look good. But for Slovenia, it was the lack of any shooting power from the backcourt. Mm. And especially against Germany. That's the, it, it happened, as I thought, that basically Germany are too big. They have Vincek, they have Pekeler. Heyman is Sebastian Heyman is a star coming through. It's really funny because I he only came onto my radar uh, during the World Championships because he was basically se- selected as a, you know, your random 2 meter 10 <laughs> German player. Just, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, copy and paste across Germany. You need at least one two meter ten player that will get you a goal, but uh, will stand as a number three in defense. And then I've been watching him a bit more, and we'll mention Frischev Gupigan a bit later with Merle as well, who he's been very impressive for. And he just has a lot of finesse. He's extremely clutch. He takes it upon himself to win a game, which is amazing to see from a twenty four year old. So. He's like a, a little diamond in the rough mm. or like a giant diamond in the rough that uh, Germany have uncovered. Um, so I think that that was a bright spark of that qualification tournament and the season so far for Germany. Yeah, I, I really like him and I'm glad he's coming through now. He actually came onto my radar first in the EHF Cup finals a few years ago, which uh, Guppingen won. And he was at the time like 18, 19 year old kind of uh, uh, come through the youth ranks and just in the squad maybe we'll get a few minutes and and contribute but uh, had some injury problems since then but really he's he's grown into that frame of his he's an absolute tank when he wants to be and uh, yeah really exciting prospect there uh, also Sweden they're they're a team full of young players uh, or somewhat inexperienced players now bolstered a little bit with the likes of Ekberg out on the right wing Pretty much the same squad that got to the World Cup final. So, yeah, interesting times for them as they go towards the Olympics. But the biggest news story from these Olympic qualifiers happened in France in Montpellier as Portugal pulled off a miraculous victory to the joy of the entire handball world. I don't even know where the Croatians went. They just disappeared after that. Portugal needing to get a victory of any sort over France to knock Croatia out and for France and Portugal to make it through and needing four goals in the final four minutes somehow pulled it off and Rui Silva streaking away for the the longest counter-attack it felt like of all time but before putting it away it was an amazing amazing moment and uh, yeah even now like it's just great to think about uh, it was amazing. I don't, I don't think there's much else we need to say about mm. it. We 
posted a video that just really told the story, the joy, yeah. the relief, the euphoria of Portugal was uh, absolutely clear when they scored that goal. And it's funny, it was just that global feeling, you know, the handball community just was so happy for Portugal. Yeah. Uh, and it drowned out all of these tiny conspiracies that came through. <laughs> there, there's a bunch of them flying around. You said the Croatian fans disappeared, but that's because their usual complaints against the ref, which they did have some against Portugal, were basically answered with the fact that Dudniak should have got a red card when uh, Croatia played Portugal. And they just didn't have an answer to that. So bad referees all around according to whoever you want to talk to or consistent referees. Yes. Uh, and then the final one was that little video of uh, the timeout before. It was like t- France are two goals up, timeout for France, and it zooms into Turna's face and who gives a wink to Melvin Richardson, who then proceeds, Melvin Richardson proceeds to miss a couple of shots and uh, drop a couple of balls to give Portugal that that win they really needed. But again, that was completely debunked because France nearly won it at the very end. Yeah, they, they took that shot. If a team was trying to lose, you know, if a team was actually trying to lose, they're not going to take an absolute thunder blast of an underarm <laughs> shot from Valentin Port in the last second to, you know win it you know they're not that precise i'll 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 make sure that this shot is a 0.3 seconds late so (laughs) through the goalkeeper's legs from nine or ten meters out it was an amazing shot from valentine board but oh my god he would be public enemy number one if that had gone in before the buzzer the guy that nobody has anything bad to say about him but oh, if that had gone in, like I don't think Gilberto Duarte would ever talk to him again in that Montpellier dressing room. It would... <laughs> but yeah, great stuff. And Portugal going through to uh, the Olympics for the first time. The the draw, by the way, for the final tournament in Tokyo is on April first. So maybe we'll talk a little bit about that in our next podcast. Uh, we also had the women's qualifiers last weekend, which I found really entertaining as well. Uh, we had well, basically. It was all about Podgorica in the end and the three-team group between Montenegro, Romania and Norway. And right away on the Friday evening, we had a huge upset as uh, Montenegro managed to beat Norway and beat them comprehensively as well. And yeah, I, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was a fantastic performance from Montenegro. They played their hearts out as you expect Montenegro to do every single game but they also played tactically very very well as well they managed to shut down the Norwegian attack brilliantly played a bit of 5-1 as well and replicated what France did in the final in the second half of the Euro back in December which really bothered the Norwegian team despite that then almost managed to throw it all away towards the end or not really throw it away from themselves when they played Romania in the final game because what happened was then Norway beat Romania, which put a potential three-team mini-table. Well, it was only a three-team table to begin with. It was going to get even smaller somehow between those three teams because Romania were beating Montenegro. All three teams finished on two points. And there was exactly one victory for Romania that would have put both Romania and Montenegro 
through both teams that were playing that final game and would have knocked Norway out. And that was a five goal victory for <laughs> five goal victory for Romania with them scoring 30 goals or more. And <laughs> the score was, I think it was 27 25 to Romania. And Montenegro took a final timeout, just a couple of minutes left to play. And Kim Rasmussen, a Dane, not a Norwegian, a Dane, said, who was coaching the team, said to them, We can lose this game 30 25. It's okay. <laughs> and I was like, What? Hello. Not like, let's slow the ball down. Let's like kill time here. Just one more goal. And we're definitely through. It's like, We can lose 30 25. They came very close to losing 30-25. And I'm pretty sure there are a lot of sweaty palms in Norway in those final minutes as Romania banged in a couple more goals. But in the end, they just fell short. And despite scoring, I think it was 22 or 23 goals over the weekend in two games, Christina Niaku falls short. Like uh, it seemed at times she was the only one who wanted to play and get to the Olympics. Uh, she and Romania fall short. You have to really feel sorry for her as uh, she did absolutely everything she could. But fair play to Montenegro who join Norway in the Olympics. Also qualified with Sweden and Spain which was pretty straightforward. They knocked out Argentina and then Russia and Hungary got through in ahead of Serbia and Kazakhstan. And in the end, uh, the big game between Serbia and Hungary was a bit of an anticlimax as Hungary were just simply uh, too good. So maybe finally this young Hungarian team is uh, is coming good and uh, releasing the shackles that comes with most of them playing for FTC. <laughs> yeah. Hungary are going to win the Olympics. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that, that far, but they've qualified and, and that's, uh, that's great for them. Right, so that's enough of the international action for now. And we'll move on to the club stuff. The best place to start is with the Northern German Derby, which happened on Saturday between SG Flensburg-Handewitt and THW Kiel. To talk about that, we're bringing in Merle Schach from Kieler Nachrichten. Well, Merla, thanks a lot for taking the time to chat with us on a Sunday evening. Good to talk handball with you. And yeah, we're talking to you about the uh, Flensburg versus Kiel game. The big derby it was what, the 104th edition of it, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, unfortunately for you, but I, I think it's a nice thing to talk to someone with the, the losing sides perspective in a big game like this. Flensburg beat Kiel 31-28. First of all, what was your impression of the game and big trip over to Flensburg you had? Yeah, it was quite surprising how uh, THW Kiel yeah, performed or not performed. I actually thought that it would be quite yeah, not easy and never, you never have an easy win in Flensburg. Um, they're unbeaten there for four years or so. Um, but um, regarding all the circumstances, um, Kiel was the clear favorite for me. They only missed Niklas Landin, um, who was in quarantine. Um, Flensburg had much fewer players. Yeah, but in the end, it's a derby and anything can happen. And um, this game... Yeah, showed it once again um, that you never know how it turns out. And yeah, it wasn't that intense as derbies usually are. I think that's something to do with uh, missing spectators. The 104th edition, but the first one without spectators, they were like 
12 members of staff uh, who had drums and um, tried to <laughs> to create an atmosphere. Um, they also did a good job, but yeah, still it was yeah quite unusual game, I think, because Flensburg made it really yeah slow. It was their only chance um, they had. Kiel didn't manage to step up to their normal level. So unusual derby, still exciting to watch. Unexpected loss for Kiel, I would say. So, so you were going in quite confident uh, into this game against Flensburg and looking at Kiel's form they they've been pretty impressive and kind of have had the upper hand against Flensburg over the last couple of meetings but what was the difference this time around why didn't Kiel uh, get the win that they uh, needed is it just because Landin wasn't there is he that important he is important he would have been one of the players um, who can win a match but of course um, Kiel have several of those players so you can't only put it like this even the players uh, really couldn't uh, explain what happened on the court after the match I for example talked to Patrick Wienzek and he was just like yeah I don't know um, we tried and tried and we never gave up but somehow they um, kept on scoring and I think um, this season is yeah more about the mental aspects of of the match and not really on um, yeah what's happening on sporty active activities on the court um so it's really about being focused in every single match and they have so many of them right now and really use momentum if you get it and um, in this case it was Flensburg who hadn't played a single match in uh, three weeks couldn't train together because of quarantine and um and so on um Kiel was in a rhythm um, also a really intense one because they've had so many matches now they've play every third day or so um but still it's it's hard to focus on the next opponent um to also yeah see all the aspects of a match and so i think maybe they were a bit tired in their heads and uh, they used to tell um how yeah intense this is how um yeah tired they get um preparing for an for a new opponent every second day and um, maybe flensburg yeah just wanted it a bit more um, felt a bit treated unfair because or had this um, yeah as against the rest of the world feeling or so um, they really had one chance to use the best seven players they have um, not change so many and um, they really had to perform the best way they could and they just did so um, yeah and Kiel maybe compared to that Kiel had too many options and couldn't decide for the right one. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the funny aspect of having twelve players for Flensburg uh, in their squad, and Kiel had a full sixteen. Maybe not the strongest sixteen, but they still had a full squad to choose from. And yeah, particularly in the backcourt with Flensburg, uh, it was Gottfriedsen in centre back for the entire game, Joran Sugard left back for the entire game, and they felt to me like they they had this kind of you know okay we're a small group of guys, uh, it's us against big nasty Kiel. Uh, even though there's no crowd here, we're going to create the intensity there. They they did it right at the start uh, and then fell behind a little bit. But for, since they fell behind early in the game, looked really, really strong. Do you think it was a, a lack of uh, intensity? Because you mentioned the intensity before, a lack of intensity more on Kiel's side than in the game as a whole? Yeah, I think so. 
maybe it was already in the first half when um, first Flensburg were in the lead by by two and then uh, Kiel turned it around um, uh, were in the lead by six three I, I think uh, after 10 minutes and maybe they had this feeling like they usually have um, they they get in the tempo they get the balls and um, and defense and then they score their easy goals and maybe of course um, not willingly but maybe they felt too safe on that point already and when Flensburg um, Yeah, equalized after 15 minutes or so. Um, Yicha usually, uh, so he he um, replaced some players. He um, tried to to use all his players with what he does because of all the matches they have to play right now. So he doesn't react. He just um, yeah, after 15 or 20 minutes, you know, he will change, uh, do some changes, and um, yeah, but they hadn't found each other by then already so um they kept on rotating and um maybe that was the point where they never found the the way into the game so you could see it uh Surgat was a, was a great example um he didn't have the best start in, in the match but there was no other option he had to improve and he did and um he found his way in, into the mat into the match and yeah that uh, has something to do with self-confident and uh, confidence i think Kiel would just Yeah, not finding their way into the match, and that was until the end. Yeah, and and it felt like Kiel definitely didn't have an answer for Jim Godfrieson, who just really tore them apart. Um, and Kiel tried so many different defensive formation, even putting in Horak a bit more and trying the different combinations with Peckler and Vincek, but they just didn't have an answer for him. And especially at the start of the second half, when... Flensburg made that run and I think got five goals ahead. It felt like, as you talked about, kind of Kiel just settled, maybe because of this uh, mental fatigue. And what I want to know is basically how important was this game for Kiel go going into it? Because historically, this is the game that decides a season. You know, it decides the winner uh, traditionally in the Bundesliga. Was it the same feeling going into it or did the teams feel like, okay, there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to drop a lot of points in this second half of the season and we'll just take what we get? I think for Flensburg, it felt more like the decisive game because if they had lost, Kiel had uh, three points more than, than Flensburg. Um, now it's, uh, Flensburg is leading by one point. So after this match and with this result, nothing's decided yet. And um, I think... Kiel knew that, um, especially in the crunch time. Or if they, yeah, if they had to to win this match, uh, I think they would have been better. I think this is part of the feeling Flensburg created, and um, also the reason for the better tension they had in the match. Of course, Kiel won the two one. It would have been a really comfortable situation, um, leading by three points in the league. But they also knew um, that there's so much that can happen. They also said it prior to the match. Um, You don't even know if you can finish the league. Um, of course, every match is important and uh, the ones in Flensburg even more. But so it's not the worst case scenario for, for Kiel losing this match and it would have been for Flensburg, I think. I want to talk about a couple of the player performances. I mean, Alex said there there was no answer to Jim Gofridsen, who 
had an amazing game, seven goals and eight assists. So he qualifies for a quid double or a sexy six, in fact. <laughs> but so did Sanders Sagerson with, uh, with nine goals and seven assists. I found that was a really good battle between the two of them and Sagerson looking on a big occasion like this to be the real standout player for Kiel, which isn't always the case, it seems, in his first season with the team. But uh, I think we have to... Uh, talk about Matthias Anderson in goal for Kiel, the goalkeeper coach showing the boys how it's done at the age of 42. Is that right? He actually turns 43 tomorrow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, last time I heard in the commentary that towards the end of the game had made eight saves. So I think he, he probably was close to, to nine or 10 saves. A really decent performance coming in from him against his old team. And uh, yeah, I mean, he didn't want to talk about himself at all after the game uh, in the post-match interview. But what did you make of uh, his performance and the whole situation that where you have him coming in a couple of times this season and, and Kiel having to uh, dip into the reserves as well now and then? I mean, it's just perfect uh, for Kiel to have him. So no one yeah. would have expected that uh, he, he has to um, come back on the court, but he already did once. And yeah, he usually saves the first uh first throw on his on his goal so it's incredible yeah he's still in the shape and uh, that he wants to help the team and still really ambitious um he just turns into a player again um yeah yesterday the situation was also unexpected actually um they want to have him on the bench to be there to help Daniel Quinchet who is the first keeper when Landine can play which was the case yesterday but actually, Quenchet was injured after 21 minutes, so um, he didn't perform well, but um, he also had problems with his tie. So Anderson had to play 40 minutes, which they actually never planned. Um, so it's <laughs> <laughs> just uh, yeah, insane that, that he managed it. Um, and also, yeah, had a good performance, um, of course. It wasn't outstanding, but yeah, you can't expect that from, uh, from him right now. So I'm really curious if he will play in Seged on Wednesday again I have no idea I actually would like to ask him how he felt on um, the day the morning after because <laughs> it was pretty hard to get out of bed but um, that was Matthias Anderson uh, just insane that he still manages to to show such a performance how hard was it to convince or from Kiel's side to get Matthias Anderson in to play these games because I remember that towards the start of the pandemic Sterbik retired because he basically said you know at my age if I uh, if I'm not training for a little while I'm just not going to be able to place my leg in the right place and I'm just not going to be able to play and that's basically what Matthias Anderson has had he hasn't trained for a long while add a pandemic to that and then he comes in makes 10 saves 36 percent that is a fantastic performance but but you know that Matthias Anderson has been training the whole time. Like Arpad Sterbik, as soon as he knew he didn't have to train anymore, he's like, all right, add on, add another 18, 20 kilos straight away. But Matthias Anderson cares too much, I think. If you follow him on Instagram, you see all the morning runs. Um, he obviously does on a regular basis, so um, that's no problem. Obviously, he also stretches. Otherwise, I yeah, I couldn't see him doing all these these saves. Um, and of course, as a goalkeeper's trainer, he's um, yeah always um, and he has a lot of training sessions. Obviously, he yeah keeps himself in, in a great shape. And yeah, after the the first time he had to step in was in the beginning of the season after the training camp, so maybe um, that was pretty good. I don't know. It's just uh, incredible, incredible, Matthias Anderson. 
And and also just playing against Flensburg. You know, did did he say anything about, you know, did did he feel like a traitor or, or anything like that? You know, I, I feel like Matthias Anderson is such a good guy that he's just going to help out whoever needs him at, at the moment. But I can imagine it being quite an internal struggle. Yeah, I think it is uh, the way you say it, but he would never say it out loud. Yeah, he really watches what he says around his diaries and uh, to not... Uh, yeah, make any fans angry. So um, I tried to talk to him before the first uh, match against Flensburg um, in the first leg of the season, where he also was in the squad, um, but never on the court. He just repeats the same sentences every every time. He says, yeah, well, I'm here to help um, and I'm happy if I can help. And of course, it's something special, um, but I'm... Yeah, I have a contract with THW Kiel now, so I help them as good as I can. Um, so he doesn't really get emotional if you try, no matter how hard you try and uh, try to push him. But he's very professional on that level. And unfortunately, no no great quotes on the <laughs> get out of him. <laughs> he's, uh, he's also the Germany goalkeeper coach, and uh, he's probably spent enough time there. So Alfred Gisleson, if he was smart, maybe trying to call the passport office and get a, a, qu- a quick passport in for him uh, to play in the Olympics this summer because that's one position that uh that Germany wouldn't mind having a second goalkeeper of his level in I'm interested in what you mentioned earlier about the the situation they find themselves in and maybe not having the same push to uh, to have to win the game uh, but another aspect of this is that after this game both Flensburg and Kiel have played 19 matches now in the Bundesliga we're coming into April uh, this coming week and they're exactly halfway through the season a lot of matches left to play in this Bundesliga season can they squeeze in 19 games between now and the end of the season I have no idea (laughs) (laughs) that must be a big topic though at the moment since the first team was in quarantine for a full two weeks and right now the situation is like if Kiel and Flensburg um, have to stay in quarantine for two week, two more weeks. Um, so if they have any more cases which result in a, a quarantine for the whole team, it will be impossible. Right now, they have playing dates for almost every match. There are some t- to be rescheduled for, for Kiel and Flensburg, but they also have the, um, the final weekend for the um, German Cup from the last season who still is planned to be played um but this is a weekend um they if they call it off they can they can schedule some bundesliga games they there so um they haven't decided what they want to do with it could be an open spot um so right now it looks like if nothing happens they can manage to play the whole season but Every day, with every new test, corona test, the situation can change. No one knows. Everyone keeps their fingers crossed. But yeah, for me, it's like we had another case. It's in Hanover and Lemgo um, right now. In Hanover, the whole team is in quarantine for, for two weeks. You see um, almost every week new cases and you see how, how quickly things can change and new cases occur. So um, I'm not really optimistic that um, they can play the whole season. And in that case, um, the race to get points is a bit more intense then because there could be a case where not every team gets to play the same amount of games. And I assume the situation will be the same as last season where they take it on a basically a points per game ratio 
and uh, and they kind of make a, a predicted points total. So uh, an added added little uh, caveat to that as well. Besides the fact that there's a lot of good teams in the Bundesliga right now. I mean, usually at a, after a game like this with Flensburg having a one or two point lead, you can think about, okay, maybe they can win every single game between now and the end of the season. That's very much not the case at the moment. You've got some very good clubs making very good runs at the moment. Uh, are there any other teams in the, the Bundesliga that are particularly impressing you? Magdeburg is doing quite a good job at the moment. Um they haven't been that stable throughout the season, but so they had also some some losses, some unexpected losses. They they are doing a good job, but in the end, I think yeah, it will be um, decided between uh, Kiel and Flensburg. But but it's amazing. Uh, Magdeburg are doing a reverse Magdeburg because they usually start incredibly well. We hype yeah. them up on this podcast. We're big fans. We hype them up. They're okay. They're going to win the season, and then they end up out of outside the Champions League spots. But this time it's the other way around. They've uh, they've reversed it, and now they're on this super streak. Are you as hyped, Chris, on uh, Magdeburg I mean, <laughs> as we usually are at the start of a season? Yeah. yeah, I remember at the start of this season. In fact, I was on the verge of like giving up hope on them because every season I tip them <laughs> to be like the surprise package to break into the top two or top three. Yeah, why not? I mean, I, I think as uh, Merla pointed out, like with. COVID tests and injuries, there's like uh, squads will be missing players nonstop. And it's about who can keep their 16 or 18 guys uh, healthiest for as long as possible. And I think on court, Magdeburg are looking really good at the moment. So I, I think we could be seeing Magdeburg finally in the Champions League next season. Dare I say it? <laughs> I've been calling it for like four years and it hasn't happened. So God damn it, they better do it at some point. But uh, also also Guppingen looking very good at the moment. A couple of German national team players who themselves had been in good form, Marcel Schiller in particular, but uh, they're on a nice winning streak at the moment. Uh, it could be breaking back into Europe. I think it's interesting. There are some teams um, which were considered to be a top team who can't really perform as they were expected to. Uh, of course, Melsung, um, almost like every year, you every have year. to say. Um, but, but also Rainecker Löwen. Um, so, yeah, Füchse Berlin also have problems. And what I think is interesting about Magdeburg, or maybe um, is the reason for their not-so-good start, is that they really had to adapt to this um, atmosphere without spectators because they usually have a really intense atmosphere in their in their home arena and you really saw that they were missing it but now they seem to have found a way of dealing with it and now they yeah are stronger again and for magdeburg their next game is against flensburg uh, on this coming weekend so already could be a big game in terms of keel's uh, chances to go back on top uh, should we talk a bit about the champions league as well because we want to ask you about the uh, the game Kiel are playing against Seged this coming week. We spoke to Dan Bomac on the podcast last time. You know, it is probably the biggest banana skin that Kiel could have faced at this time, playing a Seged team who have had a horrible season in terms of COVID and everything surrounding that and, and kind of seem to come into this game with nothing to lose. Yeah, I'm really curious about this uh, this match and um, also to, to see Seged. I think it's uh, really, yeah, you couldn't really get a good picture of what they're able to do on the court um, 
from this season. So that will be a, a surprise. It also will be a surprise on the squad um, with which Kiel travels there because they had some injuries in the derby against Flensburg. So probably Niklas Landin will be back again. Um, and I think for a goalkeeper, it's not it's not that that bad to sit on the sofa for two weeks and to do some strength and stretching things. Um, but yeah, still you have to see how he will how he's able to perform if Quinchet can be there. Um, yeah, it will be interesting to see if Pekela and Horaku both um, injured themselves in the second half time will be able to play or not. Really interesting which players will be on the court. Um, also. Good story, um, Vujin uh, joining uh, Seged and Kaneas and former Kiel player. Um, they haven't met for some some seasons, I think, uh, Kiel and Seged. So, yeah, a new opponent, um, new challenge. Interesting to see. Do you feel that maybe there's a, a bit of a shift in focus as well? Maybe you don't always hear it explicitly coming from the coach or the players but I wonder if the fact that they've already won a Champions League title this year and that there are so many games left to come in the Bundesliga that maybe they're not focusing as much on Europe. I think it was more in the group phase that they uh, well didn't put too much effort on winning every single match in the Champions League. So now it's the last 16. They know exactly that the pressure will be even higher in the second leg if they um, don't try to get all, every goal they can get in Seged. So I think they will be very focused, especially after this loss. Um, of course, um, they didn't want want to, to lose in Flensburg. This uh, hurts and it also hurts to um, not being the leader of the of the Bundesliga anymore after this match. So um, I think they will react really, really strong in, in, in Saget and really try to show that they are better, that they can do better and um, that they want to go to Cologne again. So I'm not uh, worried about um, missing focus or anything. It's, maybe it will be even even better after this loss. They have done that a lot this season, to be fair, Kiel. They've, they've reacted well from losses. And uh, we've learned our lesson, right, Alex? When it comes to... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not going to doubt him too much. Um, <laughs> I, I have a lot of faith in, in Kiel this season. Um, but again, it, this game against Sega is just so hard to predict. It's almost impossible. And it comes down to players available. If, if Landine and Peckler aren't available for Kiel and Zegged have a good squad, I think they can put a big win in and make a big challenge for Kiel. So I, I think it could really come down to who was available for each game. But still, Kiel uh, are, are my pick in this one. He has such a good coach and manager that <laughs> I, I just I can't find a way to fault him. <laughs> anymore <laughs> uh, brilliant Merle Schach thanks a lot for joining us for the first time long time listener first time caller yeah, <laughs> very honoured and thanks for having me <laughs> thanks for joining us and uh, we'll talk to you again soon take care thank you thank you Merle for taking us through the let's say the keel perspective on the game I found it quite interesting because it really felt like Kiel weren't too bothered with that loss to Flensburg, but I think that they probably should be a little bit more annoyed than, and are probably a bit more annoyed than uh, they seemed uh, on the surface. But I just want to take a moment to dive into a topic that we briefly discussed, and that is that Yim 
Gottfriedsson is probably the best player in the world right now. Mm. Agree or disagree, Chris? A, de- a top three for me. Top three, definitely. Uh, hard, I, the, the World Championship final knocked him down a bit in my estimation, but definitely top three. But it, his form is incredible. He, no he doubt. He has been, and let's just say, by pure form right now, he is probably the most informed player in the world. Fair. So uh, let's not get into these hypothetical best best player ever arguments. Uh, but pure form, Jim Gottfriedsen is absolutely on fire. He is, you know, he, he just runs a game like no player at this moment in time. Because it's this combination of running and enabling the team around you in a sort of, let's say, something like Stascuba, where it's just orchestrating. Or, you know, that that fast, creating speed, fast playmaker that we've talked about. But he also takes on the, you know, decisive playmaker, the man who makes the decisive pass, who takes the shot at the right time when it's needed. And he was just, he was absolutely incredible against Kiel. He scored uh, seven goals from 10 shots. And he had eight assists and his assists have been just off the charts right now. And I just want to, I just want to solidify just how good Ian Godfreyson is because he is so underrated and he's so underrated because a while ago, um, about a month ago, I ran a little poll uh, because I noticed that Ian Godfreyson was doing really well this season. I ran a little poll on uh, our Twitter page, which had... 670 votes, so a, a good sample size there, I think. The question was, who is currently better, Jim Godfrithson or Andy Schmidt? And Andy Schmidt won that poll. It finished very close to 50-50. Andy Schmidt had 52%. But uh, at the start, I think, it was something like 70-30 towards Andy Schmidt. And it, it like... I think it, there's a combined thing there where Andy Schmidt's a bit overrated. Jim Gottfriedson is a bit underrated. Just give this man props. I want this man to uh, get the IHF Player of the Year that he deserves this year. Uh, I'm rooting for that. Well, he'll probably get it in 2023 based on how it usually works <laughs> at the moment. Uh, but and I, I, it's hard to disagree with you. Definitely at the moment, if I had to choose one man to be in my team, it would be Jim Gottfriedson because he he just does it all. I mean, he's such an important player in, in every aspect. And he is just so willing to sacrifice himself for the team as well. Like whether it's in most cases his body and, you know, he just throws himself about like when his team need a penalty or need a goal, he just throws himself in the right place at the right time. And both... Mike Makala and Glenn Solberg, his two coaches for club and country, talk about him in such glowing terms as the extension of their mind. He is them on court. And I don't think any other coach talks about a playmaker or a leader on the team the same way as those two coaches talk about Jim Gottfriedson. And it definitely showed a lot as well in the Flensburg uh, documentary which was on Amazon a few months ago just how close a connection the two of them have and just how much uh, he trusts 
Uh, Mike Makala, in this case, the Flensburg coach, trusts him. And you, you see it and hear it in all of the timeouts as well for both club and country. He really just takes command. He knows what the coach wants. It's not just about him kind of throwing his own agenda there. He's fully trusted and, and he has the skills and he has the, the power and the consistency for the most part to, to go with it. So yeah, really, uh, really impressive player. And in the victory over Kiel, as we mentioned with Merle, seven goals, eight assists is one hell of a performance. And I think that the last point you made, the consistency, is why he has taken it to a new level over the last year, basically. Uh, because he just wasn't consistent enough in the past. He was able to have incredible games, but he, he just kind of get lost in a lot of games where he just, it felt like he either didn't have the physical power to contribute at the right moment or was happy to coast in a game at times uh, where, you you know, he'd have games where he'd just have, you know, four shots, two goals, a couple of assists. He just hasn't got, had a game like that this season at all. He hasn't taken a minute off. And I think you mentioned it before that he kind of revamped himself physically to allow him and you could see that he played 60 minutes in the Nord Derby against Kiel and was the best player in the game. So physically, mentally, he is just somewhere at his absolute peak right now. And that's why I feel that Kiel should have been disappointed with that game a lot more because for me, Flensburg are in the driving seat for the Bundesliga this season. Good points. And Flensburg, after their hard work against Kiel, have uh, the easiest last 16 game in the Men's Champions League. They come up against the mighty Zagreb. (laughs) So Flensburg against Zagreb in the last 16, which starts on Wednesday this week. So Wednesday and Thursday are the first leg games. We've also got Porto against Alborg. We've got Elverum against Barcelona. Uh, the Battle of the East in uh, Motor Zaporozhye against Meshkov Brest. We've got Celia against PSG. Seged against Kiel, which we talked about briefly with Merla as well. Vardar against uh, Vardar on the back of winning their own derby game, beating Eurofarm Pellister by seven goals in the top of the table clash in North Macedonia. They face Vesprem. And match of the week on Wednesday, which I'll be commentating, is Nantes against Kielce. So interesting first leg games there. We'll talk about them in our podcast next week. Yes, we'll be back next week. And we also have the Women's Champions League quarterfinals coming up beginning this weekend. And in there we have uh, CSM Bucharesti, who survived uh, a huge comeback by Ramnicu Valtia when we talked in the last podcast. I don't think we gave them much chance uh, of coming back because uh, CSM had won the first leg by nine away from home. It became a close call in the end, but they survived. They go through to face CSKA, who themselves sneaked through after losing the first leg to Krim Mercator. So they won by one goal in the end on aggregate. So both sides who I guess are counting their blessings to be at this stage, but now face off for a place in the final four. We have Budochnost against Jur and uh, another battle between Montenegro's finest and Norway's finest. 
And seeing as uh, Montenegro beat Norway just last week, we'll see if Budachnas can pull off another surprise against Dürer. We have Brest against Metz in an all-French derby. And then Vipers against Rostov, which is not being played this weekend. That's going to be a double header in Russia weekend after this one. So big advantage, I think, there to Rostov, seeing as there are fans allowed in the arena in Russia at the moment. So we'll see if Vipers can pull off a big upset there but we'll talk about all of that and much more next week on the pod and until then all that's left to do is to thank merla for joining us and thank you alex for joining and we'll see you again next week goodbye (laughs) 